I'm Carrington J. Tatum, Editor-in-Chief of the University Star, and you're listening to a Star Podcast. Around here, when you win, it isn't good enough. You know, but when you lose, damn sure ain't good enough. So so what is good enough? You guys need to tell us what is good enough. I guess you get paid to cause controversy, but in this locker room, we're not going to help that call. You, you write that in the paper. You write that. You make money off that. You're carrying on like a legacy, like your last name, you know? The people that did this in the 80s, they weren't doing it just because, oh, they thought it was a cool hairdo. No, they were doing it because they were badass. Hey, welcome to Cats Got Our Tongues. This is the University Star Sports Podcast, where me and my staff talk about Texas State and Texas State athletics. My name is Jacob Rodriguez, and I'm the sports editor. I'm here joined with my baseball beat reporter, Jacob Summers. Say hey to the people, Jacob. Hey, how's it going, everyone? And let's, let's just go ahead and kick this uh, podcast off on this very wet Wednesday afternoon. Um, I was really hoping, actually, that this rain was going to come yesterday because something really important happened yesterday in terms of just the baseball and baseball season, right, Jacob? Yeah, I we had a huge uh, marquee win, a marquee matchup against Texas, uh, University of Texas, that is, which is a huge school. It's something that we you know, haven't always in our school's history been able to play big schools teams like texas but this year you know they came down they gave us a home and away so last night was our home game against them and we had a huge huge walk-off win for the second walk-off in a row this team's playing great jacob i don't think anyone at the start of the season was expecting this kind of success and i think uh we've been pleasantly surprised with uh harrington's team yeah of course and, and before we get to the good stuff let's mm-hmm. let's kind of break down what happened over the weekend too because that was pretty important also in terms of just the season stuff and heading into the sunbelt conference tournament for sure so yeah let's look at some overall stats right now overall we're 28 and 13 which is a great record our conference record is uh, 12 and 6 and that puts us second in the sunbelt conference right behind uta um the uta's west division is heavily heavily favored over the east um so we might be second in our division but we have the second best you know, uh, con- or a record, I should say. And right now we're on a seven-game win streak, which is huge. Um, baseball is all about stringing together wins, winning series, um, not losing consecutively. And we've been winning consecutively. We, our pitching has been great. And even more importantly, our uh, bats have really come alive. And so um, this weekend we went and we handled our business against Arkansas State. And um, we won three games. One of them went into extra innings, and we had a beautiful walk-off win. And, um, yeah, I would like to talk about some of the uh, standouts from that weekend. Yeah, let's get it. Okay, so, yeah, some of the offensive standouts that I want to talk about. um, Trayvon Benton is really coming to his own. He had so many RBIs. I know um, one game he was the only person who brought home runs. And uh, him, John Wertrich, and Will Hollis. uh, John Wertrich and Will Hollis, man, I don't know if somebody corked their bats, but they have just been sending balls out of the park left and right. Um, John Wartrich has been really good hitting in. Most teams are playing the hard shift on him. Uh, as most of you know, he hits from the left side of the plate. And uh, he's known for pulling his balls to the right field, but um, he's been doing really good at uh, finding the gaps when they do put the shift on him. And whenever he does hit into the shift, um, he's been putting them over the fence. So no defense can stop that. You're not putting any outfielders on the other side of the wall. So um, he's been playing really good. And our pitching, uh, I want to talk about Nicholas Fraze. He turned in seven innings over the weekend uh, for a win. Anthony Pagano, he had a couple really, really good saves. Put in, uh, I think, uh, just a little over four innings of work over the weekend. Um, Only allowed a couple runs, very few hits, and a lot of strikeouts, too. Both Nicholas Fraze, Anthony Pagano, I always have trouble with his last name, 
really, really good pitchers uh, right now. Um, unfortunately, uh, Anthony Pagano was the one who um, kind of got the the seventh inning last night busted open when Texas, uh, we can move on to the Texas game now. Um, it was low scoring early. I mean, I, defense was key. I remember sitting in the stands thinking of what I was going to ask Ty Harrington after the game, and I thought to myself, I'm definitely going to ask about the defense because up into the seventh inning, we were winning three to one. There weren't a lot of boards or runs coming across the board. We were leaving a lot of guys stranded. Our bullpen was doing great because we had to pull our starter, Garrett Herman, early in the fourth. He went up uh, 91 pitches by the fourth inning, which is, as you know, just a lot. So he was getting a little tired. Um, Ty Harrington decided to pull him and, you know, was just plugging in playing. And uh, our pitchers were doing great until Anthony Pagano, the guy who was carrying us through the weekend, getting two saves, he um, let two guys on early. And so um, Ty Harrington is not going to, you know, give any leeway against a team like Texas because these middle-of-the-pack games matter for a team that's, you know, a team like us that's lower in the RPIs and we're chasing something. So we want to win these games. He put in Brent Abair, and unfortunately, Brent Abair kind of got lit up. Um, they loaded the bases and hit a grand slam, and all of a sudden, we were down by three runs, and the fans started leaving. I know you had some opinions on that. What do you think whenever you heard that the fans were leaving in the eighth, ninth inning, not even the ninth, but the eighth inning, down by three runs? Well, you wrote this story, so you kind of have a better feel for it than I, f I feel like most people do, you know? Because mm -hmm. while you're writing a story, you're looking at, you know, potential narratives and key players and all this other stuff. I was at my second job at the Campus Recreation Center last night. I went out to eat with my friends because, you know, well, you know, that's what we do. Mm -hmm. So I'm sitting at Whataburger. I pull up the live stats. Top of the seventh, right? Yes. Top of the seventh. Base is loaded. I'm thinking, oh, no. Right. Grab a bite, of my, bite to eat from my burger and then... That's it. Grand slam happens. You can't write the narrative any better. Yes. Ryan Reynolds. Mm -hmm. It's a grand slam. Ryan Reynolds, who I've I, I cannot take credit for this nickname, but KTSW, the Bobcat uh, home uh, radio station that broadcasts all the games, they have deemed him as the Bobcat killer. Bobcat killer. And I would have to say that I agree 100%. He was the killer last night, and he's the one who has beat us so so thoroughly every time we play texas as long as he's been there he's the one who gets the rbis when they need it he's a great third baseman with a great glove he makes tremendous defensive stops and won't let us get on base and when we are on base he leaves us stranded with his excellent glove i mean he is truly the bobcat killer and hats off to the to, to ut's outfielders last night because they had an incredible game mm -hmm. as well yeah they robbed us twice at the warning track um Trayvon Benton and uh, John Worthrich both got robbed back-to-back. -back. One of them was definitely going for yard. The other, extra bases, at, you know, at least. Um, I don't know if it would have quite gotten out of the park, but it was at least a double, probably a triple, if uh, he hadn't have caught it. Um, yeah, I mean, after that, I mean, that that's when I was sitting there in the stands thinking defense is the key to this game. Surely, we're playing great because, I mean, Texas State, we had great defense, too. We had two double plays. One was a great double play um, made by Jalen Brown or Jalen Brown, Jalen Hubbard. Um, it was a 5-4-3. Um, he passed it off to Jackson Williams at second base, and then Jackson finished it off with a slight hesitation. But it was a really good double play. That's something that you really see in the big leagues. And um, I was sitting there thinking, okay, surely that's going to be the name of this game is who can play the better defense. But then all of a sudden, it became a slugfest. They got the grand slam. 
Um, or no, before they got the Grand Slam, we came back with two home runs of our own back-to-back after we had been robbed. And then they get a Grand Slam. And then all, when all seems to be lost, people are filing out of the Bobcat uh, ballpark. And it seems like we're going to go home empty-handed, really sad. Another home run by Willis for his second home run of the game. And, I mean, he was a man on fire last night. It was a two-run blast. And all of a sudden, we have life. We're down by one. And it's in the bottom of the ninth. Only one out. We still have two outs to go. And it's a ball game, everybody. And um, we're able to load the bases for Skylar Valentin, who had – he was 0 for 4 at that point. Maybe 0 for 3. I'm pretty sure he was 0 for 4. And uh, I remember looking at Colton, our other rider here, and I was like, okay, he's due for sure. This is the, this is it right here. And um, he watched a couple pitches go, found his pitch that he liked, and he put one right up the gap between first and shortstop – or, I mean, shortstop and second baseman. And the rest is history. I mean, they stormed him in the outfield, tackled him, and it was a really good scene last night in San Marcos, Texas. You really can't write it any other way, I think. Uh, and it was really a beautiful game, too, I think. Um, so – yeah, um, congrats to those that uh, stuck around and stayed there until the ninth. It was uh, three and a half hours well spent because, I mean, the weather was perfect. The fans were perfect. We were getting into it. Um, I know our guys were feeding off the energy. I think Texas's guys were feeding off the energy. And um, all I know is I would not miss when we play them at their stadium in Austin, Texas on May 7th. Which you'll be at, too. Definitely, I'll be there. I'm I'm ready to see if we can sweep them, go for the se- the season sweep against UT I don't think... Which has never happened, Yeah, I think. Texas State has never been able to say this that. This is only the, what, how, how many times have we beaten Texas? It's the third time we've ever beaten them, only the second time we've beaten them in our ballpark. Um, so let's go see if we can beat them for the second time ever in their ballpark. Yeah. That would be amazing. Sweet. Thanks, Jacob. All right, now, so joining me is Colton McWilliams, and Colton's kind of been doing a lot of work with the softball team. So, Colton, can you tell me about what happened this weekend, first of all? All right, so our g- girls headed, headed down to Statesboro, Georgia, to play Georgia Southern. And honestly, this is probably the best result they've had uh, so far this season. They ended up sweeping Georgia Southern. So last Friday, they ended up playing a doubleheader because, like, Easter holiday and all that stuff. In game one, they absolutely dominated it. They won 7-1 to in game one. Uh, Kristen McDowell went 2-3 for three for two RBIs and a home run. And Tara Alderman probably had the best game, 2-4 for four with three RBIs. And Megan King, like I said, she's been a beast on the mound, just going seven innings pitch, allowing six hits, one earned run, and like three Ks. Then the second game went around, and we, like I said, we ended up winning that game again, winning 5-3. to three. Uh, Hilly McKay went two for three for just two RBIs. Dara Oldman went two for four for one RBI. Like I said offense wasn't was there, but like I said, our pitching's been really outstanding. Megan King again started started out only went one innings pinch, but then Daniel Barrera, my goodness, five innings pitch, three hits, one hundred run, and ten strikeouts. And then, like I said, final game. And that's the the same Delilah Barrera that's been going kind of back and forth with King for that leadoff role too mm-hmm. for the Bobcats. So. Kind of glad that she's finding success, too, because I think she's been the most consistent out of the two mm-hmm. on the season so far. And also, uh, just, you know, as one of the more senior people in that uh, group coming out of a JUCO and then coming onto the scene, as, you know, for the first time as a Bobcat, mm-hmm. it's pretty important to just get those those times at the plate and, or excuse me, those times at the mound yeah. and, you know, just coming into your own role. 
Mm-hmm. Alexa, she's been doing really good. Like I said, having a 10 strikeout game, oh my goodness. Like that, you're going to win over coaches and players anytime you're going to get a 10 strikeout game. And like I said, this combination's been doing really good so far. So, like I said, no complaints, but like I said, it's just like a matter having, of consistency. Yeah, just being consistent, just like one pitcher doing really good, then follow up with the other pitch, just going back and forth, back and forth. And and, I said, so, let's talk about last night, too. Oh, I don't want to talk. Oh my god, that broke my heart. And so the the weekend was the high note for this team. Oh yeah, right? definitely the weekend was the high, highest note. Good Easter celebration or good you know spring fertility day celebration mm-hmm. if you don't observe Easter. But just go ahead and uh, dive right in. Okay. So like I said, we ended up playing one of our in-state in-state opponents. We're playing Houston, and like I said, we played Houston earlier in the season in their red and white showcase, and like I said, they got beat down pretty good. Houston walloped them. But we actually played really good for the first half. Like I said, we scored three runs in the first, second, and third inning to take like a 3 nothing lead. And like I said, we were going and going and just like everything was going good. And so like I said, Megan King's been going the whole game. She's been doing really consistently, like getting these one outs, one outs, all of that stuff. And then they defensively, they just collapsed. Like I said, they couldn't get the out. Like it, it was like one out, couldn't get the out. Like I said, they had a runner on bait first base they kind of allowed one run in i was like okay everything's good we still got the 3-2 lead runners on the like second and first houston hits a two-run double to take the lead and you just felt like the air just like oh i said uh houston ends up like winning the game we couldn't we got one runner on a double but then we couldn't bring her in and it was just it was just kind of heartbreaking the watch but but i interviewed woodard after the game and one of the things she said was like it, it was disappointing like we needed the finish and before we hit Sunbelt Conference, but this was a completely different team when we started playing Houston earlier in the season till now. And I kind of have to agree with her. Like I said, the, this team has been really consistent of late. Like I said, beating the bad teams when they need to be beating the bad teams and then playing with the good teams. And like I said, Houston is probably a decent team and just playing with them till the end. Like, like I said, you want to see the win, but like I said, it's re- it was really good feeling seeing how much improvement has been over the season and after losing you know a pivotal player like randy rupp it's kind of important that this team kind of goes through its own paces too Mm -hmm. and i I was talking about to zemo and a couple of the other guys about it but it always feels as if uh the women's teams have the better schedules and what i mean by that is that they're tested a lot earlier Mm -hmm. on and they're tested a lot more often than all of the guys teams across the board uh you see it in basketball the women's team had a far better schedule uh, than the men's team and so you know when it came to the Sunbelt Conference tournament they they were a second round out first round out yeah it was yeah second round out second round out but at least they had been tested early enough to know mm-hmm. and we had sort of a better projection too of where they would fall in that tournament and so I, I think something has to be said about scheduling for this for uh women's team and something has to be said especially for scheduling of any of the men's teams across mm-hmm. the board, across campus. I'm not mad at the second round, like, basketball. Because South Alabama ended up going to the championship game. Yeah. Like, it was a good team. If we're going to lose, at least we lose to Yeah, the... you lose to at least a championship contender. But, like, I do agree. Like, with the women teams playing a tougher schedule, like I said, they've kind of started, like, this pedigree. Like, we are one of the better teams, and we need to test our players before we head into Sun Belt. And I think in the end... And you it... see it especially with the out-of-state teams that they play. Oh, yes. You want to talk about Troy real quick? Or? Yeah, go ahead. Let's All preview right. it. So, the, like I said, this weekend series is probably arguably the most important series 
of the season up to this point because we got Troy. And for the people that don't have the stats readily accessible to them, Colton, where do we fall right now? So right now we're currently sitting third in the Sun Belt standings. We're about three games behind Troy and about App State UTA are one game behind us and Coastal Carolina in fifth is currently yeah, two games behind us. So, so like, this weekend's huge for pretty much everybody across the board in the Sun Belt. Oh, yeah, so like I said... It determines it, a lot of things. Mm-hmm. If we get swept by Troy, it's going to be disastrous because we could potentially go from third and drop all the way down to six, which that would be like the nightmare scenario. But like I said, if we take two out of three, like I said, we're in pretty good shape. And if we sweep them, hell, we got a good chance of getting a second place finish in the Sun Belt. Because no one's catching Louisiana. Right now, they're like 21-0 and 0 with like four losses in the season. So, And they've already clinched the Sun, like regular season championship. So there's no point in chasing Lafayette. But if you catch Troy and get a second seed, I mean, you're sitting in good position. Any one game with like Louisiana and Lafayette, anything can happen. You know, it's a very important series for Texas State. And they need to come at least with... Two wins or three, I think one win, one win or like zero wins is probably going to be a major blow to their chances. They're playing home away. Oh, it's a home game, so. All right, yeah. So, one game losing streak right now, but I think our record at at home eight and nine at home, so it's one game under five hundred. Yeah. But maybe this weekend turns it all around, huh, Colton? Yeah, like I said, the team's really, if you look at the schedule, like they've really improved from like the ver- from where they started to now. Absolutely, well, yeah. So. I said, it's going to be a really exciting series, and I encourage y'all to come out here because, like I said, sometimes the women don't women's sports doesn't get a whole lot of love. But they've kind of been shouldering the weight of this athletics program for, I would say, the better part of a decade. Oh yeah, like I said, if you don't, haven't noticed, like Texas State's been to like three straight NCAA tournaments from 2016, 2017, and 2018. I mean, this is almost like a really good like Sun Belt powerhouse team. And like I said, if you look at their history, they've captured like two conference titles in two different tournaments, winning a bunch of them in the Southland Conference, and then we like recently winning their first ever Sun Belt tournament this year. So like I said, softball is like a really good program, and I didn't realize it was a good program until I finally did research. I was like, oh my gosh, like why isn't more people like talking about this yeah. program? This team means a lot. Yeah, it's a really good program, and like I said, Richie Wood has been there since like 2001, and consistently delivering like NCAA tournament appearance. or at least contenders yeah they, they're at least contending so like I said bring out y'all, y'all's love for the softball team they really need it and like I said it's going to be a really good series right. thanks Colton right, no problem okay so now joining me on the podcast is my assistant editor Claire Partain say hi to the people Claire hello everyone <laughs> Claire's my other half on the sports team, and kind of the reason I get out of bed some mornings is just because she does so much for me. But one thing that she does very good is cover Texas State track. Yes, that is my beat. (laughs) So, Claire, first of all, we have a track team. We do. And breaking news, it's really good. Oh, for sure. Not even breaking news. This is old news. This is old news, but it's new news to the public, I feel like. Uh, I don't think that... It's really exposed to the to like students that well, um, but I hope that we get more exposure to them because they're freaking awesome. Yeah, they're really good, mm-hmm. and so we'll we'll forgive everybody for not you know keeping up. Yeah, with it's stuff. Fine, Charles Charles Austin, major you know street in San Marcos, <laughs> Olympian, whatever, no big deal. Yeah, no big deal. Let's just break down the uh, 2018-2019 indoor track season. Because like, they finished on a very good note, you know. Yes. I would say a very good note. Very good. And then 
we're, we're going into the outdoor season now, too, so let's just talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so to give everyone a background, you know, since we're getting y'all into this right now, um, so the women's track team actually pulled off a three-peat in the indoor season. Um, so they've gotten first three years in a row. Um, they haven't gotten the recognition for it, but that's okay. And then the men's side, uh, they're, more young, they're a younger team, um, but they pulled off third place, and they keep getting better as the season goes on, especially with outdoor. Um, so, yeah, really uh, one thing about the track team um, that makes it exciting to me is because um, everyone's so versatile. Like, we have people in every single event coming out, and even if it's not first place, everyone's always bringing in the points for the team. So it's really exciting. Yeah. And so where was the where were the teams this weekend, this past weekend? Where were they? Yeah, where were they? Um, so they were at the LSU Alumni Gold Meet. It was a one-day meet, and they saw um, competitors with, like, big schools like A&M, LSU. Um, I believe there were some UT players over there. So it was a big meet, um, and they pulled off some pretty good uh, titles. They brought home, I believe, 12 top 10 Sunbelt uh, marks, and then we had one individual first place, uh, Tamon Johnson, brought home the shot put. Uh, first place. That's pretty goal. good. He's been very consistent pretty much across the board for indoor oh, yeah. and outdoor so oh, far yeah. in the season. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's one of those like consistently at the top of their game. So uh, much players. so that Claire makes sure to include where Tamond finishes in pretty much everything she writes. Every single article, he's there. <laughs> Tamond is there. I have, I do have a few favorites, but that's just because you know they're so awesome. Yeah. Like I'm just in awe. And one thing that you wrote recently, Claire, focused specifically mm -hmm. on international players and kind of how they adjust to Texas and Texas State and like the recruiting process involved in that too. You want to talk about a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, I got to talk to two track athletes and then uh, a golf athlete and a tennis athlete. So um, <laughs> so I got to talk to people from um, all across the world. And I really, what the question was when I started this article was, how did you get to Texas State? I don't feel like we're like a global university really yet. Um, so I just wanted to know how they got here. And what I found was a lot of the players were looking to come to America because uh, the NCAA program um, provides both athletics and academics. And a lot of different countries don't have that uh, process. So like if they wanted to continue track and miss class in their university, they'll probably fail their class or they won't do well in track. So a lot of people migrate over here. Um, and the way the re recruiting process works is usually they hire an agent and then they'll get their name out that way. And then Texas State coaches will reach out to them. And um, all the players said that like the reason that they chose Texas State specifically is because of the relationship they had with their coaches. And that was all four sports, which was pretty cool. Yeah, cool. So, so uh where do they run this week, Claire? You know? They run here. What? Yeah. Here? Yeah, right here. San Marcos, Texas. <laughs> it's a big deal. Are um, you going to be there? Uh, of course I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there the whole time. Will I be there? You should be there. I, I should hope be. so. If, if you're any student, I think you should be there, Yes, too. any student. Wait, if, and you were at the last meet that the yes. Bobcats ran mm -hmm. here, too. What was kind of like audience engagement, fan engagement? Um, So, to be honest, I was a bit disappointed by audience engagement at the Bobcat Invitational. And that was a little bit different than this meet because um, this is going to be the Bobcat Classic. And... It's going to be the first which, which in my opinion, I think, should be changed to the Charles Austin Classic. But I also whatever. agree with that. But, you know, it's fine. It's I don't fine. get to make those calls. Yeah, you know, we don't have that power yet, but it's okay. 
Um, but yeah, so this is the first time that the whole track team is going to be here competing because at the Invitational, we had about half of our athletes actually missing because the Texas Relays in Austin mm -hmm. was going on at the same time. So this is going to be really exciting because of that. There's going to be everybody's here, all of our best players, all of our players, literally. So it's going to be really cool. Awesome, Claire. So go do that. And everybody else, go. Go, please. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Claire. Okay, so joining me for another segment on the podcast is Sean Enchando and Colton McWilliams. Go ahead and say hi, guys. Hey, what's going hey, on? How's it going? Um, so what I want to talk about specifically now is the NFL draft. Fast approaching. Yes. And Texas State currently has two people that have slated themselves for the draft. Where do you think they're going to end up? Let's start with Keenan first because he actually participated in the combine. Yes. And also had held a pro day at the Bobcat Stadium. And we, we know a lot about Keenan Brown, uh, especially if you read Deuce Johnson's article that was posted uh, this morning in preparation for the draft tomorrow. But Thursday at 8 o'clock, that's when the draft starts. Mm -hmm. Is Keenan Brown going in the first round? No. No. Um, he's – I mean, he, I think he's he's a, maybe a third-round talent. And I think he – I could see him even falling into the into the fifth or sixth round, maybe even seventh. Because of where he played at, didn't have a lot of games on national TV. Uh, it's a very strong tight end uh, draft. Like you got, um, you got a fan at, from Iowa State. Yeah, Iowa State, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, it's just a lot of uh, the guy from Texas A&M. Like they, there's a lot of good tight ends. I'm not seeing in, in this combine. He didn't have a great combine. It was like it was over average. But um, I think he will. I think he will get drafted. But I think it's going to be later than than what what a lot of uh, people think. Okay. Follow up question: When he does get drafted, if he does get drafted, will that team immediately benefit from having him on on the team? Um, th this is the thing about him, and what a lot of experts on the draft and so called experts. They're saying he's um, what, what they're saying. What they're hearing from scouts is he's kind of like a work in progress. He's not um, he's not as strong as we thought he was going to be. He did 17 bench presses in the combine, which is it's under average. But like he's better it, than Christian McCaffrey when he did it. Yeah, <laughs> but he, he's way better than Christian McCaffrey actually. Mm -hmm. they, so they they got to he, He's got to get stronger. Like they're they're going to work on him. I think he. And I would attributed that mostly to, you know, him not being as prepared as maybe everybody thought he was mm -hmm. coming into Texas State because he didn't get that many touches at Oklahoma State when he no. transferred. And so that also is a detriment, too, and was kind of the reason I was hoping <laughs> and praying that he was going to stay under the Jake Spavadol era, get some yeah. more games mm -hmm. under, under your belt, uh, get some more national attention. We have a couple big games being broadcasted, the first mm -hmm. one at A&M, and then, you know, yeah, that that A and M game would have been really big to have. And but like imagine it, how he would have functioned in you know this sort of quote unquote air raid offense that mm -hmm. that Bob it, Stott is gonna is it, gonna incorporate, especially a guy his size. Like you're talking about a guy that, and and I just put these numbers together earlier today. Um, so he he had 24 percent of the touchdown production, and uh, like 36 percent of it were, were pass receptions because he also had. Um, but he he had seven touchdowns um, total. Five were 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 receiving touchdowns, and just uh, what else? And his touchdowns. He had 19% of the yards from the offense. So he he had a big percentage of what the offense did last year, and and that offense was awful last year. <laughs> so like you just think of what he was doing. Everyone knew he was getting the ball. So 
Like I, I think with with this offense, he, he would, even got the ball on the run too. Yeah, and yeah, then he, took that almost to, for a touchdown. Yeah, he had a sixty-one yard run earlier in the year, and he was out running like cornerbacks. Like the guy is fast. I mean, he did, he didn't light anyone up in the in the forty. He ran like what a four seven. Four seven five. Yeah, four seven five. But like he definitely has a talent to not, be not great and not better than me if you check out my arena football <laughs> piece. But you know. Still yeah. pretty good, especially for somebody who's 250 pounds. Yeah, I'm 165 pounds, soaking wet. So yeah, he he's a he can definitely translate. He has he has elite uh, intangibles. Like he, I mean, he's not t- he's not super tall. He's six foot two. Uh, you typically want like a six four guy as a tight end in the NFL, but it's a new NFL. Everyone's running the these spread offenses, smaller receivers, smaller tight ends. So and and he's. In high school, he was a, a wide receiver, so he he has that type of ability and variability, uh, like in the field itself. And the biggest thing that people are talking about when they're talking about Keenan Brown is his his ability to get yards after the catch. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the biggest thing when you're looking at people who are very big and you're going to give them the ball anyway, mm-hmm. is you want them to not get the first down but try and get the touchdown. And that's exactly what he tries to do. And that's exactly what he's quoted as saying in Deuce's article. But my question to you, Colton, is again about immediacy. Will he be an impact player as soon as he gets onto the team? As soon as he gets on the team... Like Depends said, on where he goes, first pretend, of all. Depending on where he goes, yeah. But like I said, I think he's just a work in prog- progress. Like I said, I don't think he's going to make an immediate impact, but if you get if he gets with like a good coach, it can teach him like essential skills and show him like how he can improve as a player and improve his game. Like I said, I think he could eventually he will be a major impact on the team one day. But like I said, it's kind of too early to tell because like I said, he's in a really tough tight end class. Like I said, you got the quarterback from I mean the tight end from Iowa State, and you got Jay Sternberger from A and M, who was That's like one name. of the better mm-hmm. like tight ends in college. I mean I watched. A lot of his games, and he was like one of the best. He was like a key part in that A&M offense. But now, Keenan Brown, like I said, I, if he gets on a team, he needs to like improve, and that's kind of the main point. It's like if he can improve, I think he will eventually get, find a spot on a team that will use him in the right way. Don't don't be surprised if the if the Patriots draft him. I think that's where he's gonna go. That's just my prediction. Um, I'm not a Patriots fan. I'm a Cowboys fan. I would love the Cowboys to get him, but they don't. They're not working him out at all. So like, I, I, I maybe they'll get him, but I, I think he fits in with uh, Bill Belichick because he's he's like a guy that that no, he, he's so under the radar that Bill Belichick is and his guys are gonna go out and get him. I, I just think that's what's he's gonna so happen. under the radar. Greg Popovich might try and bring him <laughs> in. <laughs> the Spurs. I bet you could play some basketball. He's tight end. <laughs> he has the size. Yeah. Anyway, the the second player that's kind of in the draft for Texas State, who hasn't really gotten a lot of media attention just because, you know, his story is even further than that of Keenan Brown, because Keenan Brown obviously had a lot of touches, uh, a couple of them were on national television. Mm-hmm. But Tyler Watts, who, who his story is kind of really cool, too, because he was a walk-on player that eventually got on full scholarship and was kind of, you know, they call him the juice box or the juice. Mm-hmm. And uh, he calls himself the quickest player in the draft. And so if you look at, you know, pre-training, his vertical was 33 inches, pro day, 36 inches. Bench press, he had eight reps for 225, pro day, 16 reps. Mm -hmm. Broad jump, uh, nine feet, pro day, nine feet, nine inches. 20-yard shuttle, 4.3, pro day, I don't really know what happened, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 3.97. 40-yard dash, 
uh, 4.81 pre-training, pro day, 4.46. So he's faster than me. It's pretty good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's also shorter <laughs> than me, though. And yeah. that's kind of been the biggest thing, I think, when people think about you know, taking wide receivers. Wide receivers are incredibly big. I, I, way I, bigger than me. So much so, in fact, that <laughs> Spavadol told me that I would not be able to fit uh, as a member of the defensive unit because of my size. Yeah. So. <laughs> he, I saw him during the, the, the pro day um, here in San Marcos, and he's really fast. Like, when you watch him, he's quick. He's really fast, and he's even faster when he gets the balls in, he, and the ball in his hand. He runs great routes, too. That was another thing that, like, not a lot of people were talking about um, after that because um, most people were there to see Keenan Brown. But this guy, he was lighting it up. Like, I, he's he's an interesting story because last year he only played in eight games, and he was I don't know if he was injured or, or what happened, but his, his productivity, his production went down a lot. Like his his sophomore and junior years, he 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 played all twelve games. He had around forty receptions and uh, over three hundred yards in both seasons, and he had uh, three touchdowns um, altogether in those. And then in the senior year, he plays in eight games, thirteen receptions for only ninety six yards and no touchdowns. So I don't know what happened, but that that's not going to help when you don't play your your senior mo- most of the senior year only active for eight games due in part partially because i think that slot sort of like hybrid wide receiver position is getting Mm -hmm. like sort of a facelift and also i I think just the position itself is changing a lot too you Mm -hmm. have to be a lot more versatile down on the field and i think they were using him a lot of times to block and stuff like that so he wasn't getting a lot of catches anyway hutch was more of the guy i think Hutch Hutch was kind of the go-to guy Mm -hmm. down the field too yeah so that especially for for guys like vit who knows who gresh is uh, clicking with right now who knows who vitz clicking with at the moment who's yeah. who knows who jalen gibson of all yeah, people yeah. is clicking with at the we moment. don't we don't know anything like we they and, don't and that spring game didn't give us a feel for it either also the wind that hurt everything mm-hmm. like i said there was a lot of kind of factors like you couldn't really tell but i said i think the main connection i thought could be a possibility was like gresh mason hayes connection because like i said mm. They connected on that 70-yard touchdown, and they connected on that touchdown. My pass. boy Blake Aragon. Blake Aragon. <laughs> hey. he, he got a few. He got a few looks. So he could be like they're they're working him into that 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 role right there. Mason Hayes. Like when when you see someone throwing like these these deep passes on third down, that kind of he feels comfortable throwing it to that guy. So that's who I would see coming up. I, I know we're not supposed to be talking about spring game again. <laughs> we're supposed to be talking about the draft, but yeah. So dialing it back, right? Dialing it back, dialing it back. Tyler Watts, is he getting drafted? No. No. You don't think so? No. no. Why? He, he, I don't know. Would you feel good about your favorite team drafting a guy that that didn't play at all his senior year? A project. He's a project. He's, Cowboys need a new Cole Beasley. He, uh, we got <laughs> Randall Cobb. I think they'll be fine Cobb, with that. Yeah, you're right. Um, but yeah, I, I I think he would be really good. I think. Another project. I'm gonna keep saying project. I know it's redundant, but he's he's gonna come in there. He's gonna work. I think he's gonna blow blow people away about how talented he is. And, and I'm looking at a picture of him right now. Yeah. And he's just massive. He's 100% muscle. He's built like a rock. Mm-hmm. And he's gonna lower his hat and hit somebody in the mouth. Yeah. He's also very. Um, he's a he's a nice guy and and like he's I I think he's a hard worker. I think he's the type of dude that that you're going to want as a teammate. And I, I, like just having him on your team, you see how hard he works and he he was a, a former walk-on, so like he had to he had to he had to earn his his spot. 
So he's gonna have to earn his spot again. So that 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 could be interesting. If him just making a practice squad could be could be like the the realistic expectations we were going to see from Tyler Watts. And in the Withers era, you know, there really weren't a lot of happy ending stories. You wrote that story, but basically, mm-hmm. you know, Everett Withers yeah. did the whole thing where he cleaned out the locker room of drugs and the yeah. drug problem at Texas State. And with that, how many players got suspended or were separated from the team entirely? <laughs> it was a lot. It was... It was, what was it, it was ballpark? Um, I, I heard somewhere around 16 players that were either kicked off or uh, um, were suspended. Before there were problems there, with drugs, right? Yeah, it was, he uh, Withers told me he was like there was a there was a really bad drug problem here, and he didn't tell me which drugs, but we can we can assume which ones he was talking about. But um, he had the the whole culture like he he Charlie Watts came at a wrong time. I think that's what happened. Yeah. Regardless, though, I feel Tyler Watts because of that wrong time and because he was able to show up and show out during that time. He sort of has the intangibles, either mm. built in or adapted and became. Yeah. And was sort of the leader of that team in the locker room and outside the locker mm. room, but also just like day to day. You know, it's a grind being a student athlete, and mm. he was the first one up doing stuff and had that high energy volume. So, any team that gets him, yeah. or any team that has a chance to get him, any more cap room, you know, is obviously going to be a limiting factor. But the, the Withers guys are all good guys. Mm. Like when when you talk to them, he likes to have. Players like Tyler Watts, like the the guys that, are, that as an are, example for the rest mm-hmm. of the team. Mm-hmm. All right, thanks guys, appreciate yeah. it. All right, so I'm here with Andrew Zimmel, and you know, I want to talk about. We've talked a lot about fan engagement and like the culture of you know whatever Texas State fan base is, but. Uh, Texas comes over to Texas State last night. Texas State eventually wins on a comeback too people were a little upset at the fans leaving early what's your take i think it was only one person i'm pretty sure it was sean (laughs) (laughs) but here's the thing so you know the problem is is that if fans didn't leave games like football and basketball early this would be more excusable this would just be one of those like hey i can't believe the fans left early they missed such a great finish but that would be it that would be the end of the talk but the problem is, is that fans have been leaving early all season. So now Sean can get on Twitter and say, oh, I'm really disappointing the fans. The Undertaker, uh, Colton, can come out and say, like, hey, this is really bad for fan engagement. We can do all that talk. And really, I don't think any of us can really push back on that because they're, they're right. They have a point. The only counterpoint I think we had is that it was a Tuesday night. It was getting to be 10 p.m. at night. And unlike, you know, maybe Sean and Colton – a lot of people have jobs, <laughs> nine to fives. I'm not trying to stay up till 10:30 to watch my team lose when I can just go home and watch it on the Longhorn Network, or I can go home and watch it on ESPN Plus. Especially off of a grand slam that almost I, I would think you know for a normal team would put oh yeah nail so in the coffin. so the Longhorns hit that grand slam in towards what the ninth inning, eighth I think inning? it was in the seventh, the seventh inning they hit the grand slam, and for any other team this would be a backbreaker. But Texas State baseball has proven us wrong at every single turn that they are not the team that we thought they were. We came on the podcast. We talked about it. We said, look, this team doesn't have much pitching. The hitting is kind of soft. We don't know what's happening. They still don't have much pitching. But now the hitting, the bats are really heated up. My only question, and this is what I would say to fans who are really jumping on this bandwagon, I would say slow your roll. 
because cardiac cats are fun. It's fun to root for this team. It's fun to root for Texas State baseball when they do this. But at some point, the wheels always fall off, and it usually happens right around the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. So if this team can go into the Sunbelt Conference Tournament with these bats still hot, pause. I don't think they can do that because it's really hard. No, seriously, it's really hard to continue to hit like this the way they've been hitting over the next two months. If the pitching really w- wakes up, if Nick Fraze and Connor Reich and that entire staff, just something clicks and they start throwing some heat, they start hitting their spots, then maybe, and the bats still stay warm, not as hot as they are right now, but just stay warm, this team can make a real run. The only question is, can they do that? And you know, history shows us they, I don't think they can. Yeah, and I don't know. I Two things I don't have very much faith in is Texas State fans and then Texas State players. Yeah, that's a tough That's a tough look. <laughs> but, I mean, you're not wrong. And I, you say that, we say that kind of joke in jest, but there is like a little bit of serious to it that, you know, the the fan base is what, the is the chicken and the egg argument, really. Yeah. It's always been that way. Oh, if the fans show out, the players will play better. If the players play better, the fans will show out. Okay. The players will tell us, look, we're trying our hardest. And the fans will tell us, look, we're hungover. So it's... <laughs> hey, we're hungover. We it's, don't know what's going on, right? No, and I mean, you, you really can't place the blame on either one. Now, I'm curious to see if this team continues to roll the, the, the way that they are, what this does to Ty Harrington's status. Because going into the season, I kind of mentioned, hey, this dude, his record all time's not very great. His record in conference isn't super great. He's been here 20 years. 500 record for a baseball coach over 20 years in the Sunbelt Conference and uh, the other conference, the Southland Conference. And it just, to me, visually, it wasn't great. It wasn't a good look. This season, however, they're really showing, like, hey, look, we can do all this type of stuff. Uh, they're, I'm not going to say they're dynamic. They don't have a dynamic offense. It's usually by the skin of their teeth, by big bats, they end up winning these games. But, you know, at the end of the day, He's winning games, and it's going to his overall record, and we might see this guy sign a new contract. We had to get Casper sign a new contract last week. Mm-hmm. Ty Harrington, I think he's up for an extension pretty soon in the ne- next year or so. You know, we could see him signing an extension, and then at that point, if he continues to be mediocre, do we put this back on Tice or do we put it on him? I guess it's a tough thing, you know, but well, especially that's, because, that's you know, sports. They, Texas State came out against, you know, a, a better UT team on paper, but we all know this kind of this Texas team is, you know, broken, mm-hmm. not doing well, and hasn't been hot for a, a while. So, Now, what do you think of, so it's like the left field group or whatever for UT. I think that they're one of the better fan bases in college baseball. They come out and they're like, oh, fans were leaving from Texas State games. I think that that's kind of hypocritical, considering that I have seen a lot of UT fans I've left leave. from movies, though, in the middle of it. You know, like, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Okay. What does it matter? That's fine. That's fine. As a fan, you pay for the game. You can leave whatever the hell you want. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, the last thing I wanted to kind of like talk about is I want to I want to push back on uh, this idea that you need to have guests at certain times on podcasts. We're recording this whenever we want because it's a podcast. The idea that I need to be somewhere at a certain time to record something like this it's astronomically stupid. You're recording this from the future. Yeah, actually. this is great. We have phones. You can call. It doesn't matter. I don't understand why I'm being dragged around all over South Texas to be on these type of things. Not South Texas. It's Central Texas. It's incredible, guys. Deep in the heart of Texas. Stay. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jacob. <laughs> no problem. Uh, this has been Cats Got Our Tongues, the University Sports Podcast, where me and my staff talked about Texas State and Texas State Athletics. My name is Jacob Rodriguez, and I'm the sports editor. Thanks.